Welcome to the pen and the yad. This week's Torah portion is Vayigash. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anche Emmet Synagogue in Chicago sits down with author Jonathan Eig and talks about how it's one thing to make changes in your life, it is another thing entirely for others to accept those changes, but it can make all the difference. Did you ever go to a high school reunion? I've avoided them like the plague. Yeah. I went to one. Uh, I went to my 20th high school reunion, and I haven't gone back since. So it was like the plague. Um, Pretty bad? It was. It Well, here's the thing. When I was in high school, I think I would have been voted least likely to become a rabbi, <laughs> most likely to go to prison. And now, 20 years later, I show up, and I spent the night having people sort of tap me on the shoulder and say, tell them. <laughs> tell, I said, tell them what I said. Tell him what you do. And I say, I'm a rabbi. He says, no, come on, <laughs> you? And there was this notion that I'm just frozen in my past, whatever that kind of jock, kind of idiot high school guy that I was. And there was this inability to allow me to be something other than that. Sure. And they certainly weren't interested in the time, but the entertainment factor was very high. And that was the end of it. Now, all of this applies, of course, to the Torah reading. Oh, wow. I didn't, know, didn't think you were everything, going to yeah, right. Everything leads back to Torah. And in this story that's going to come to this crescendo in the portion of Vayigash is also a backstory about testing who you think someone is frozen in time. Joseph is the grand vizier of Egypt, and his brothers who threw him in a pit, who hated him so much that they were willing to sell him to Ishmaelites. And some, by the way, wanted to kill him. They now find themselves begging for food. They're foreigners. They have no standing amongst Egyptians. And Joseph is in charge of giving out the food. And here he is. They don't recognize him because he's wearing all of the Egyptian garb of a noble person and they of course they have no idea that it's even possible this could be joseph and so joseph knows who the brothers are the brothers don't know who joseph is he concocts this remarkable plan to see if they have made shuva or if they're still frozen in time now he doesn't use the word shuva i'm guessing he no. just wants to see whether they feel bad you think is that the uh, is that he wants to know that whether they're worthy of his, of, of his forgiveness? Do you think that's what's going on? He wants to know more than that. I think that's the big piece of it. But Joseph hasn't seen his family. He doesn't know what's happened to the father. And so if he kills them, he's not going to know. So he starts asking questions. He finds out he has a brother, Benjamin, and that his brother's alive. So he concocts all of these pieces to a story and forces them to bring Benjamin back to them. And then he puts Benjamin in danger. And he'll, he says, you know, you guys can go home. I'm just going to hold on to him. So it's the same story. They're going to have to go home, tell their father another story about how their brother, the only other son of Rachel left because Joseph is gone, and explain it, to, explain it to the father just like the last time. Yeah, throwing him in the ditch, essentially. Exactly. Vayigash is he approached. Who's the he? It's Judah. And this time, Judah says, take me. Don't take him because I can't break his father's heart. And at that moment, when Judah shows that he's not the same guy as he was years ago, that he has changed, that he does feel remorse, that Joseph breaks down and cries. And this literal wall is shattered. And Joseph can show him, show his brothers, his real face. It's me. I'm your brother, Joseph. 
is our Father still alive? It's one of the most powerful statements in the entire Torah. And I think this is telling us a story about the possibilities of relationships that we can change. We're not the same people we were in high school. We might be, but chances are we've evolved. We're a better, more decent, more thoughtful version of ourselves, or maybe not. Maybe worse. Maybe worse. Selfish, more greedy, but that still offers the potential, though, that you can change again, right? Well, you, look, you write about people's lives. You research them. Do people change? Do people evolve? Yeah, of course they do, which is otherwise the stories would be boring. And there's, a, there's an arc to people's lives, and it's not always a, a happy ending. But the great moments of triumph come from when someone's willing to change. And often it happens early in the story. You see it with great lives. There's a moment when someone feels a calling, when they feel like they have a choice. I either take this difficult challenge before me, I embrace what I think is my role, what I'm meant to do, or I don't. And I'm mostly writing about the people who do, obviously. I'm writing about the people who have made choices to accept that responsibility, to attempt to do what they feel in their hearts is right, even though it, it's difficult for them. And that, to me, is the key moment in any life if you're, if you're faced with that choice. Sometimes the choices are mundane. As you said, it's you know whether to accept a, a brother who you've parted ways with, or it's the question of whether to accept the call from God that you have a responsibility. I think that's, I think that's 100% right. But as you were talking, I was thinking about how we categorize people. You've written about great athletes, great criminals. But one of the things that I think you do so well, Jonathan, is that you show the humanity of the person. You look at them from a 360 point of view. Whereas I think Al Capone, right, I think about a gangster. I think about Lou Gehrig and I think about a baseball player in that iconic moment when he speaks at Yankee Stadium. I think of Dr. King and I think of the I have a dream speech, right? I think about him marching and the bravery. But do we take the time to learn more? Or do we just take the Facebook explanation of a person? And I think what's going on here goes on in the lives of families all the time. It's not just with friends. We have a difficult moment in the life of our family and time stops and that relationship stops. I can't tell you how many times I've dealt with families where family members, brothers and sisters stop talking to each other because of some event that the children can't even identify. They don't even know what the event was. The beautiful thing about this Parsha is that Joseph opens the door. His need, his desire to engage with his family. It mattered to him. That, I think, is the whole story. And Judah had the courage to make a change. Yeah, I think that is the the hard part. It's so often easier just to say, I'm done with him. And clearly, um, there's a longing within us that we don't want to be done with them very often. And that's what we see here with Joseph. He could have just ignored them. He could have refused to see them. But there must, be, must have been something, some longing for family within him. He knew that he... He was missing something in his life. You know, in the 80s, it was common to say that a relationship is toxic. Right. So in the same way that you wouldn't consume something that had toxins in it, you should avoid relationships that you've deemed to be toxic. You can't go home for Thanksgiving because it's too dangerous for you emotionally, so don't go. Create your own family unit. How many of us have friends who are who who we've deemed to be our family? 
very common today. But how healthy is that? We haven't really thought through whether this is healthy or unhealthy. The life isn't what we want it to be, and family is often disappointing, but there are family, right? We're human. So this notion, this desire to kind of be family again, this is the, this is the thread that runs throughout the entire Torah. But do you need tshuva in order to be family again? If, if you've been truly hurt by a member of your family, do you need for that person or for someone to come forth and to, and to heal that, to show that you've changed? I'm not sure that you need family if the family is still toxic, to use your word. Well, I think that, I think that you can't even have the conversation unless you go back in time. And what Joseph is going to do here is that he's not going to wag his finger at his brothers at this moment. Because his brothers, by the way, are terrified. Once he's taken off the mask, it's great for Joseph. But the brothers are saying, oh my God, look what we've done. Here he is. This is terrible. Yeah, they're busted. They realize now that they did something terrible and that it's come back to get them. But that's not what Joseph is going to say to him. Joseph is going to say, come forward to me. He says, I'm your brother Joseph, to whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be distressed or reproach yourselves. It was to save life, and God set me ahead. So Joseph is, in a sense, letting him off the hook. He's forgiving before they even ask for forgiveness, right? He is, but maybe what he's saying is, we're not going to fix this. We're still family. Things worked out. I'm still here. You're still here. How do we go forward now? That's a question. But if you don't make the approach, then nothing's possible. And I think that that's a big part of this story, which, by the way, will continue next week. So we've got something to look forward to. Sounds good.